Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that thinks that Alexander Zinchenko is the very best of us. On today's pod, we're going to be looking at Ukraine and their World Cup quest, as well as casting a gaze on England's latest Nations League adventure. Stick around too, because at the end of the show, we're handing out the end of the season awards. To discuss all this and more, I'm joined today by two Friday favourites. My brothers from other mothers, it's Asan and Howard. Hi Asan, you well? I'm great, mate. How are you? I'm all good. All good, thanks. Looking forward to a good weekend ahead. Indeed. And what what have you... Uh, you having a quiet one? I am. I am. I had a... Um, so, last weekend, my sister-in-law was here uh, with her daughter, so it was quite a busy weekend. Mm. And they left on Tuesday, and on Tuesday, I had an actor arrive here who stayed with me for four days, who's playing a role in one of the shows that I'm doing later this year, but he was here to work on story with me for four days. Right. And he left this morning. So I'm a bit like socialed out, if that yes. makes sense. Like you want the I'm quite yourself. Yeah. 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 Like generally I'm, I find the older I get, the more antisocial I am. So like that sort of 10, 11 days of having people in the house and like being out and doing things, I'm knackered, mate. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm ready yeah. to close the curtains and, uh, and watch something. I watched <laughs> yesterday. I managed to get through, uh, the last five episodes of, uh, Better Call Saul. Um, incredible incredible television and we can't talk Uh, about it can we no we can't talk about it but it is i I will say that i I, i've been a bit lukewarm at times on better call Saul, uh but i feel as though progressively each season has gotten better and better and better and this one really is the peak it's 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 incredible and knowing that it's the last season makes me really happy because it means that they're obviously they're going out at the very 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 top which is how you should always go out why can't you is it just purely because of spoilers or is it is there a yes. twist all right yes okay. spoilers like okay. i just don't want to if anybody anybody who hasn't seen it i don't want to spoil yeah. anything for them fair enough and it's taken a mid-season break which is annoying so uh, yeah, yes. same as Stranger Things. That yeah. Uh, Howard, how are you? And um, so, have you been a fan of Better Call Saul? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with Ace. It's it goes at a yeah a pedestrian pace at times, but this this season's been note perfect. I would mm. say, and of course, as a prequel, there's <laughs> if you've watched you know Breaking Bad, then you've got characters to come in, characters you know must not. <laughs> You know, you don't know if they're going to live because you know they don't appear in Breaking Bad. There's so much to to come together now that yeah, it's uh, and it's just been done quite perfectly. So oh. yeah, it's yeah, shame we can't talk about it because people don't watch stuff at the same time. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I can't. Um, oh god, I can't remember what it's called now. But there was of all things, it was an ITV drama, and we're not really big on ITV dramas. But it was. Um, Unforgettable, unforget, unforgettable. Yeah, I've still not watched it. Yeah. And there's three seasons, and they were brilliant. It's really good. And before the third season, someone just put on Twitter the big shock of the big twist, and it's like, why have you done that? You know, it just ruined it. I still watched it, but you knew the whole time what was going to happen. But yeah, there you go. Um, right, let's turn our attentions to football, and specifically, let's turn our attentions to a footballer. Um, Alexander Zinchenko, he's, I, I'm guessing, I can't speak for you guys, but I'm going to, I'm guessing all three of us have admired how he has 
kind of adapted to English football and always proven his doubt was wrong and showed his, it's his mentality as much as, much as his application that kind of I admire. And that has really come to the fore in recent weeks, given what's happened to his country. Um, I'm just going to throw it out to you guys. How would you um, saw kind of some tweets from Simon and kind of detailing what he's gone through in the last few weeks and how he's dealt with it? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, the other side of, well, I, would, I won't talk about the other side of Twitter, but obviously he was in tears before the Scotland match and mm. you don't go into replies when something like Sky Sports puts something like that. Oh, really? Were people being down on that? Of course they were. Oh, Twitter pathetic, anonymous accounts and oh, he's always crying. And the true extent, you know, not just obviously the pain he's feeling when your country's invaded it is undeniable but the true story now that Simon put on about Bajowski about he was willing to actually yeah some of the replies the odious replies were if you care that much why did you go and fight right yeah which is a pathetic comment in itself well it turns out he was prepared to and had to be talked out of it so I mean yeah how do you even concentrate on anything else in your life when this is going on Uh, it's been a hundred days now I think since the invasion and more so he was talked out of it. he's doing you know check the tweets out I'm not going to go through everything I'll check the stories out he's he's been in touch with soldiers he's set up but he's been loading supplies onto vans he's been doing uh, he's set up a site you know to raise money he's promised to host a party for soldiers after you know this is all over mm. uh, whenever that may be so it just lays very start bare and start just what he's going through and what he's prepared to do and how he's, yeah, how he's played football matches. Yeah, you know, I've always said, you know, players are not robots, but then you look at, oh, Zinchenko was pretty bad against West Ham and it's like, <laughs> not really that important in the scheme. Yeah. I mean, it's important to us, isn't it? Because we needed, we wanted three points, but how on earth he could even concentrate to play that game is just astonishing. And yeah, what, what an amazing man, what an amazing human being and inspirational and, and he was utterly, I mean, he was head and shoulders above everyone else in the yes. Scotland game. Yeah. He was magnificently mad midfielder. Wish we'd see him a bit more at City. There must be games where he could play midfield. He was a really, really good. Just showed what a class player he is as well. And just reinforces like what, you know, I don't know what his future lies might. That'd be nothing in the rumours whatsoever because... If you believe the rumours, we've only got four players staying at the club, so <laughs> most of the rumours are you know, probably rubbish, but I think he's just shown his worth as a human being and a footballer in recent times and absolutely be gutted if he did leave you. Yeah. yeah, well said. I mean, the thing that struck me about his performance against Scotland was he seemed to be on a technical level higher than everyone else. And when you think of some of the players in that Ukrainian team, they've got some decent players in mm. there. He just looked Don't better we- than everyone else, didn't he? Yeah, it was only Scotland, though. So. Well, yeah, but he looked better sorry, than his teammates as well. Just, just winded up, Ali. I'm yeah. sorry, I really am. But yeah, yeah, I seriously agreed with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nobody was. It's, I mean, some of the dribbles he does, just his movement, you just show, yeah. When, as someone said on Twitter, when you're in a City team, when you're in the City team, it doesn't stand out if he plays well or does anything, really. Mm. But when he's in the Ukraine team, still a good team, but not City, then he really stands out because you see 
just how good a footballer he is and must be to play for City. Well, I mean, that feeds into what I was going to ask Asan actually, because Zinchenko made the difference in the final game of the season and he was sublime against Scotland and given it all that's going on in, in the rest of his life, it would have been so much easier for him to crumble and just, you know, fade into the background in terms of his professional environment. Asan, is that obviously the player deserves 90% of the credit for that? But also, does Pep Guardiola and Manchester City deserve some credit for that? Are we, I can't think of a better word than breeding, which sounds awful, but are we breeding a certain mentality in our players, which is just as important as the application of the football as regards to being a successful team? Mm, I mean, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with uh, the idea of making it about the club or about Pep. I think ultimately what what he's going through is unique in that, you know, I mean, yeah, like I, I don't remember in my lifetime knowing of professional footballers at the top level whose home country is invaded while they're playing mm. uh, a season elsewhere. And I think that, you know, the, the general environment at, most Premier League clubs, and I imagine all Premier League clubs, would be incredibly supportive of a player going through um, what Sinchenko has been through and will continue to go through. So I, I, I wouldn't want to make it specifically about City or about Pep. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and in terms of him, I mean, you know, I think throughout his time at City, he's shown a loyalty and a desire to be here. Uh, a respect for the club and an application when when called upon, which has been completely um, unquestionable. Uh, and I know, like, I'm I'm slightly different to people, and I know that a lot of people really don't want him to leave. And weirdly enough, I find myself in a different place where, when you see what he did against Scotland, and you see the talent that he has as a midfielder and the talent that he has. As a footballer, I mean, it's a bit absurd that he's, you know, third choice left back at City or whatever he is. I think that if a good offer presents itself, I think he should go and he would go with my best wishes because I want to see Zinchenko fulfill the incredible potential that he has as a footballer. And I don't think that that will happen at City. Um, I think that he has to go and play somewhere regularly and he's proven himself time and time again at the very top in the Premier League, in the Champions League for City. So I think that, uh, yeah, like I think that the moment has arrived that he should go if there's an offer that he wants to take, he should go and be the main man somewhere. I would love to see that. Is staying with you, Aysan, is Arsenal a good fit, you think, with Arteta and the style of football that they play? Probably, but I almost feel as though the list of clubs that would want Sinchenko were he to be available would be really, really, really long. I think that he possesses a mentality coupled with technical qualities that means that if you look at the top end of Italy, the top end of Spain, the top end of Germany, the top end of France, the top end of England everybody would would hold a, a strong interest in in Zinchenko. So, yeah, I mean, I think Arsenal would be a good fit, but, you know, I think that most Premier League clubs would be a good fit for a player that is that talented. 
ultimately, does he want to lose Champions League football? Yeah. That's, I, yeah, basically yeah, it's a fair point that. about he, he deserves football. Uh, I would hope that with a, a World Cup bang in the middle of a season, uh, perhaps, perhaps Pep will loosen his, his ideals about having a tight, small, tight squad and use the squad more in the next season. But yeah, that's ifs, buts and maybes. And yeah, he deserves to play more football. He's too good not to, really. Yeah. Okay, uh, before we get to the internationals, there's just kind of an aspect I want to discuss with you both, which is what the fact that it's international football represents no more Premier League football. The season is at an end. Um, Howard, it's been a stressful few weeks the final concluding few weeks of the season. It's been a stressful season as a whole, really. And that maybe, is. yeah, and I was going to say that's probably just the nature of being a City fan because we're always going to be challenging on several fronts. Are you relieved that it's over? Are you glad of having a break right now? I was, but very quickly. <laughs> maybe it's because Harlan's coming in, or maybe even Julian Alvarez, and I don't know. Maybe if we start the season quickly, no one can leave. And <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It's too late now. The season started. You can't go. Not that I think loads are leaving anyway. I'm always, always, however the season's gone, I'm always ready for break because I think it is exhausting, mm. especially when you're at the top or even if you're at the bottom. You know, if you're not in the middle, it's exhausting. And it really has been. You know, Champions League semi-finals, semi-finals, FA Cup. I mean, there was just so much going on right to the very, very last minute. That I was, I honestly, and it's the wrong thing to feel. I was almost glad after the Villa match that oh, I'm glad we're not in the Champions League final next week. Now, uh, I didn't mean it, but I was just like, oh, that was amazing. Again, one of the most amazing days of my life watching City, and I don't care about the Champions League now. I'm just ready for a break. But under two weeks later. I wouldn't mind if there was some football yeah. starting yeah. again next week. But normally it takes me about six weeks and I'm like, I'm bored now. Let's, you know, and it, it would help if there was a World Cup in the summer. You know, if there was an international tournament in the summer, that would be perfect. That would just fill the gap and then you're ready for a new season. Maybe the fact that, I mean, obviously we're talking Nations League, but that doesn't really count, does it? Uh, I just think that that gap means I'll be ready to start again a lot quicker this this time around. Yeah. I've got kind of similar questions to you, Sam, but from a, a different kind of angle, which is, I think of the mm-hmm. three of us, I would say that you're more into transfer activity than me and Howard. I mean, me and Howard, you know, it interests us. Of course it does, particularly from a city perspective. But I know that it, it's something that particularly interests you. Do you enjoy the, the, a summer transfer kind of rumours and activity or does it exasperate? Yeah, it exasperates. I, I, I host the transfer shows yeah. and I do sound like I enjoy doing them, but I don't particularly enjoy the transfer window. I don't think that um, it's not my favourite part of the season, let's put it yeah. that way. Uh, and I think, you know, a, a little bit that is to do with the nature of the way that City are run. City are run in a really pragmatic uh and not very sensationalist way. Um, and that tends to lead to a lot of angst among supporters. And that's just a bit dull for me. Um, but this particular window, to contradict myself, I'm loving it. Mm. Like, I, I think that obviously when your club goes out and buys one of the best attackers in the world, 
more or less before the season has even finished, that's going to put you in the right mood for the transfer window and it's going to mean less moaning than there normally is. Um, so no, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying this one more than I do normally. Um, but I wouldn't say that I'm like a huge fan of the transfer window. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got to admit, I, I, I enjoy it as a fan, but having to write about it is hard. I, I, mm. it's, I'm never a fan of that. I think the issue with this one is we're at a point now where incoming stuff's always kind of interesting. You might not like the rumours, but it's always fascinating. But the outgoings, there's no one in this squad I actively want to leave. Mm. There's all, in the past, there's always been t- players, no offence to them, that I thought, I wish he'd go. Um, <laughs> but we're at the point now where I can see logic. I mean, I can see the excitement of a, ref- a refresh as well. But there's no player I actively want to leave. So any of those, that side, that half of the rumours, I find irritating in a way because I'd be happy if no one left. So Yeah. Okay, let's turn our attention to England now and their forthcoming Nations League games against Hungary and Germany. Um, what we'll do, so the question I, I put on the agenda was kind of, if you were an England manager, who'd be your strongest 11? Um, but I don't want to kind of dig too deep into this and we'll just kind of do this quickly. So, Asan, who would, if, if you kind of pick your strongest England side, and I mean, Howard will kind of chip in with any that we disagree with or any we'd replace. So, you, you are now the England manager, sir? Uh, and everyone's fit and available. Who, who are you picking? Uh, Walker, Stones, Maguire, and then uh, Chilwell. Um, and then the midfield three, I'm picking Rice, Mount, Foden. Nice. And then the front right. three, I'm picking Sterling, Sancho, Kane. What about in goal? Pickford, is it shooing or? I don't rate Jordan Pickford, really, not at all. So I don't really know. Like, I don't really know what the what the alternatives are. I can't think of any keepers off the top of my head. It's, well, Ramsdale's the... I mean, I probably would go with Ramsdale over Pickford, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but, I understand. I understand. But that aside, um, I think I'm, I'm with you on the whole 11 there, to be honest. I, mm, I like the mm. fact that, you know, it's that midfield is so much better by virtue of the fact that it's not two kind of deep lying midfielders, but with, there's a lot of progression in there with Foden and Mount. So yeah. I think I think Mount, Mount and Foden are both not just supremely talented, but they're both supremely intelligent, mm. versatile footballers. And I don't think that you know playing in centre midfield, it's not 1989. It's not about how physical you are. Uh, your intelligence should allow you. Their their game intelligence should allow them to defend when they need to defend and attack when they need to attack. And they've both got legs for days, so there's no reason that they can't get up and down the pitch. Uh, so that's why I'd be really reluctant to do the, you know, the kind of... the, the, the uh, There's definitely a conversation about Rice or, or Calvin Phillips. Uh, but I think for me, with Foden and Mount, that I'd lock them into those two number eight positions and play 4-3-3. Would you um, just... Staying with you on this, so that midfield, I'm, I, as I said, I, I'm a big fan of. Going back in the day, going resorting to cliche here with Lampard and Gerrard and they can't play with each other, whatever. So say you were England manager back in the day, would you have been happy to pick a midfield three of Scholes or Carrick, kind of deep lying with Lampard and Gerrard in a more, you know, in a three-man midfield, essentially? I'd have, uh, Honestly, I'd have played Gerrard in the six. 
I'd play Gerard as the holding midfielder. Right, not, okay. Not Carrick or so, so you would have I'd, had I'd, Gerard and Lampard as a midfield too, but with Gerard kind of set there. Well, actually, I'd have played with a three and I'd have played Gerard as the deepest and then I'd have played Lampard and Skull. Right, in front, okay. In front of uh, in front of Gerard. But those guys, I, I, I don't think those guys were intelligent enough and I don't mm. think that they had the application that... Uh, that this generation have this generation have technical ability, they have application and they have intelligence, which is why they look different to previous England teams. Um, how would, do you have any kind of disagreements with Asan's first choice eleven? Yeah. I think Declan Rice probably has a big shout to be inside, and I'm not sure about Sancho to be honest. I think I'd rather see someone like Saka. Uh, other side, well, depends which side you want Raheem Sterling to play yeah. on as well. So, uh, is, is that because do you what, what's your doubt about it? Right, well, he's not done anything, and that doesn't always matter for Southgate because he'll put Maguire in because Maguire and Pickford because they've not let England down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think Sancho's done. I don't think he's picked him either, has he? A lot of the time, uh, he's not done anything at international level either. I mean, he might just come into the England side and be brilliant. So I know Sancho is capable of being in that first 11. But right now, I don't know. I think there's other players with a better claim to be in that side. So, and then, I mean, there's, there's, just looking at the squad he's chosen. The team for Hungary, by the way, I would say is very different. I don't, I'm not sure I want to see, and I'm going to talk, I'm sure Ace wants to talk about how much football there is. Mm. I don't need to see our strongest 11 against Hungary in a, what should be an empty stadium in the Nations League in June. I'd rather be watching Conor Gallagher and the likes of that. I'd rather have a look at what Bowen's like. I'd rather mm. just see something different and make it, you know, Tamori in defence, just something interesting rather than put our first 11 out and learn nothing in a game that ultimately isn't that important. But when you look at the squad, it's not that easy to pick an 11. It's a strong squad because mm. Duke Bellingham keeps improving then he's going to have claims, of course, to being that 11. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of options there. Maybe pure strikers is where we're still the weakest, but, yeah, and you could say that Maguire didn't deserve to be in, but he always will be. Oh, he, he, he always plays He's well the captain, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think there is a, I don't think there is a better centre-back that you can, that you can pick alongside Stones. Um, you know what, Howard? Uh, Steve, respectfully, I'd like to change my team. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'd like to I'd like to move uh, Foden to left wing, Sterling to right wing. Uh, Bellingham comes into centre mid where Foden was playing, and that means that Sancho goes and Saka both go. So it's uh, uh, Rice or Phillips, and then Mount and Bellingham in front of Rice or Phillips, and then Foden, Sterling, Kane as the front three. I tell you what, it's a, hell of a, it's a hell of a bench as well. That's the thing. Yeah. Southgate's got so many options, which kind of leads me to something which always kind of fascinates me because in every England era um, and every England manager, there's always two or three players who kind of miss out. You know, they're just not the manager's favourite. Um, for whatever reason, Taylor doesn't rate them or Venables doesn't rate them. And now Southgate. In this current kind of squad, is, is there a player that you can think of and you think they're not going to get as many caps as they deserve? And um, I mean, three should be able to start with you, Howard. No, I don't think there is. I think he's Southgate. Is Gre- Grealish, maybe. Well, I'm just going to say Southgate. I'm not. You know, I have his. I have issues with him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with this 
this, you know, just look at the midfielders forwards. Just go for it. Yeah, <laughs> just go for it. <laughs> just, just enjoy. At least in the Nations League, just bloody go for it. What have you got to lose in the Nations League? <laughs> Honestly, just enjoy. I mean, yeah. We go one and up in big games, and then we freeze and lose them, and it's just, yeah, that's what I think. Southgate, I, a lot of the players, yeah, are in the squad now, so I think, you know, like Jerry Bowen deserved to be called up. Tamori deserved to be called up. I think I don't know, pronounce this wrong. Gehi at Crystal Palace, pronounce that completely yes. wrong, probably. Yeah. Uh, there's players like this that deserve a chance. I don't know if they'll get on the pitch though. They should do over the four games. These are players that should be getting. Uh, game time. Mm. Of course, there's going to be some that probably deserve more, but it is a really strong squad. Yeah, I, mm. I would like to see Grealish more, uh, and of course at right back, you've got to have right backs that are just not going to get enough yes, game inevitably. time. Yeah, yeah. There's some. There's just some positions that are loaded. Uh, what can you do? I mean, I don't agree with every t- every f- you know side he picks, and my, my desire for these four games is that we he uses that squad. And that a lot of players get some game time. I would expect to see Grealish as well in at least a couple of the games. I think there's a possibility that Trent Alexander-Arnold ends his mm. career with maybe 40 caps when in reality he deserves twice as many. Um, Aysen, is anyone you could think of you think? Or, or like what about Grealish? Do you think Grealish might end up with fewer caps than he deserves? Only because there's better players in front of him. I don't mm. think that, you know, I, I think I slightly disagree with Howard in how we approach now that we're here, I think that the, the the conversation around too many games is a separate conversation, right? Because that's about the calendar and how you how you find the best way to get international sides prepared for international tournaments. But now that the now that the games are here and they're scheduled, one of my big biggest bugbears is that going into tournaments, the best eleven don't play together enough in the run-up to a tournament. And I actually think that when you've got something like one of Southgate does this, does this a lot, right? He'll look at players, he'll rotate a lot, a lot, and you don't get a sense of what the best 11 is. And the players don't get a sense of what the best 11 is. And they don't get that much time on the pitch playing with each other. Um, And I think that that's maybe where we fall down in comparison to more established international sides yeah. where the players have been playing together for a lot of years and they know where they play and what their best system is and it just you you feel that and I think that with this England team now going into the World Cup what I'd like to see is for Southgate to nail his colours to the mast in terms of a best 11 and to give those guys as much minutes as possible and to get the standards within those games as high as possible so that going into the World Cup you're you're not, you know, with the best will in the world, Southgate's job is not to make 22 or 25 players happy or to make them feel included. His job is to win the World Cup. And to, for that, he needs his best team to be at their best collectively. And I think that we see from a city point of view how much more important the collective is to the individuals, how important the system is, how important it is that they all know what each other's jobs are on the ball and off the ball. 
that there's no passengers, that everybody plays for each other because they want to and they know what they're doing. And I think that all of that comes down to repetition, repetition of movements, repetition of training, repetition within games. And that's what I'd like to see from the Nations League games and from Southgate in the run-up to the tournament. What he does have is he's blessed with, in my opinion, a world-class phenomenal centre-forward in Harry Kane. Now, last summer, when City were heavily linked to him, I was increasingly getting exasperated by the tepid response from Blues. Um, I, I did get where people were coming from. I just didn't agree with it. Um, he scored 15 in his last 12 England outings. Um, he's now four off Wayne Rooney for the all-time goal-scoring record. A very leading question for you, Howard, but why doesn't he get anything like the acclaim that was afforded Wayne Rooney? I think he does. Uh, but the City thing is a very... I, I can sum that up quite easily, I think. Harland. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, Harland comes into the conversation, but no. not A bit of Harland and a bit of familiarity, I think, breeds contempt. Yeah, way. yeah, I get that. And there was some quite a lot of contempt. Uh well, he's just got into his players certainly rating because he's just got in ahead of Son, who outperformed in this season in mm. the uh, the shortlist, anti for Player of the Year. So he's rated. I don't. I can't remember what was written about Rooney uh, at the time. The City thing is very different in that he just wasn't exciting. I mean, he was. He would have been a perfect fit for City tactically. He would have gone in there, taken us on to a different level. It made sense, and yet a lot of City fans were against it, probably because it wasn't exciting. We all prefer some... I mean, there's people talking about Julian Alvarez exciting them more than Haaland. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's going a bit too far. Yeah. Uh, Haaland, but I'm sure... I understand it. I know where they're coming. I, I, yeah. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you understand, we know Kane. We know him inside out, watched him, and him coming and making us better is great, but for some City fans, that didn't that wasn't exciting. I was excited by it, but it was the fee, the age, his ankles knackered, you know, possibly say some, and just, yeah, they were going on the figures and all that sort of thing. And I, yeah, and at the back of your mind, I've wanted Ireland for two years at least. Now, last summer, we didn't know if we had where we stood, whether we would get him or not. I thought we were probably second, third favourites behind Madrid and someone else. But, you know, if Kane comes, the dream of Haaland dies mm. there and then. And I think that's at the back of the mind. I'd rather take the chance with Haaland. But of course, Haaland wasn't really available last summer. So he'd rather take the chance and play a year without a striker and p- perhaps get neither Kane or Haaland than take Kane, who's going to be in his 30s before we know it. And I don't know. Just, it lacked excitement because of the fami- familiarity, I think. I think he does get the credit he deserves generally within football, uh, personally. But ultimately... Maybe if he doesn't, it's because he plays in a team that never wins anything. Well, and I think it it, is. It really, that makes his, his stats even more impressive. But ultimately, because he's not playing at the top of the game, lifting up loads of trophies, maybe that affects his legacy and how he's viewed by some people. I mean, so you much don't of, think... Go on. Sorry. I was just going to say, you don't think it's because um, he's quite a unfussy and unfashionable yeah. almost awkward kind of fella because I kind of, I, f- I feel there's an interesting contrast between the Kane and Grealish transfers last summer in that you're absolutely right. There was a lot of people that were just like massively underwhelmed by Harry Kane. 
And that to me was bizarre because I was like, and they these are people who were hugely excited by the the idea of Grealish. And I was like, that makes no sense to me. Grealish has had one good season in the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? He's He might well be talented, but he's not Harry Kane. Harry Kane has been consistently the best number nine in the league for years and years now. So and I, and to me it really did come down to the fact that you know Kane is like this nerdy awkward not very fashionable or cool guy whereas Jack is flash do you know what I mean and he's a lad and, no but it's true like yeah, 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 yeah. It, 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 for me it really does tap into that kind of lad culture thing that surrounds football where it's like everybody loves Greens because everybody's like yeah he's a lad I'd like to go for a pint with him. Whereas with Kane, you, a lot of people are just like, he's just very not, he's very vanilla for people, which I guess for me, I, I, I was always like, it doesn't matter how vanilla he is. He's an incredible number nine. And if we'd have signed him, we'd have been incredible this season. And I, I'm the same as Howard. Like I would, if I had, if I had a choice, I'd have picked Haaland before Kane every day of the week. But ultimately last summer, Pep wanted Kane. So, you yeah. know, it was what it was. I do think, Steve, and I'd like to know what you think, actually. I do think that he's underrated in general. I yeah. think that his legacy uh, won't be the legacy it should be. I think it's from how he, how he emerged. I think, say, to stick with my comparison with Wayne Rooney, because let's be honest, there was an entire industry built up around Wayne Rooney. Um, mm. And I think that was because he was right out of the blocks, that goal at 16 years of age at Goodison against Arsenal. The hype was there right from the off. And then very soon after he joined Manchester United and he was, you know, the white Pele and the next big thing and all the rest of it. So the hype was right there. Whereas Kane, it, it kind of took us by surprise. So, he, you know, he had loan spells at Orient and Leicester. And so for the first three years of his of his Spurs career, people were calling him a one-season wonder. For the first three years... Mm. Um, last eight years, he's averaged 22.5 goals, Premier League goals per season. That's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah. And so I think if those, if his figures were attributed to any other player, I think he would get far more acclaim. Um, but then I, the obvious reason as to why that's not kind of falls down for me because I read an article about this because I, I had to write about it. So I did a bit of research and in Football 365, the writer was, and I, you know, I go along with it to an extent, but he was saying that it's because of how Kane is as a person. He's very monosyllabic, you know, he's kind of, um, but so was Rooney. I mean, Rooney wasn't, uh, the, the, the writer was saying that Kane doesn't have uh, an exciting brand, etc. Same goes for Rooney. I mean, let's face it, Rooney's brand was pretty tarnished for his playing career. And yet, you know, the media were besotted by him. Um, far but less that was more to do with, yeah, I think you're right. But I think that that was more to do with United Ferguson. I think yeah, that, yeah. you know, everybody that went to, to to Ferguson's United was overnight catapulted into a rock star. That's just the way that the media worked back then. Um, and I do think, you know, I'll say it again, like Rooney was a lad. Every, you know, he, 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 he drank pints and he got caught with brasses and everybody <laughs> loved that. It's true. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like for, 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 for millions of teenagers in uh, all over England, like that's relatable. Do you know what I mean? Harry Kane, who seems to go, seems to be the kind of fellow who has a cup of chamomile tea and then goes to bed at nine. He's just not very relatable. Maybe the age demographic of the brass in question was. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's where I distanced myself and thought, oh, you know, less relatable. That one. <laughs> 
Oh, man, what a Friday show we're, we're, <laughs> we're having today. I, I did not expect to be using the term brass on, a, <laughs> yes, same on, on, on the Friday show when it opened, but here we are. Uh, let's kind of Where, Weather's muck. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely, <laughs> lovely bit of business. Um, let's turn our attention to the big game this weekend. I mean, England's hungry, blah, blah, blah. Wales, Ukraine is where it's all at. Um, hey, Sam, who do you want to win out of the two? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious, mate, that uh, everybody should be rooting for for the Ukraine. No offence to, no, 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 to, no, no. to to you or to Kerry or to any of my Welsh friends, but we should all be Ukrainians. It's a tricky one, you know, for me. It, it's I, I read uh, an article by a Scottish it's, writer about... It's not. Uh, you're Welsh. You want Wales to win. No, of course I want Wales to win, but this, this Scottish writer was saying that the atmosphere in Hamden was pretty much people was going into it thinking, well, it's win-win tonight. You know, obviously we want Scotland to win, but should Ukraine win, then it's not going to hurt so bad. I do feel that way to extend. I passionately want Wales to get through the World Cup, but... If they don't, at least it's not going to be to some bunch of bastards, you know. It's um, so there's that. There's going to be a compensation, is what I mean. Um, how will you be actually actively supporting Ukraine? Full kit, <laughs> <laughs> included studded nice. boots. Nice, <laughs> nice. Fair, fair enough. Flag out the window. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I think my issue, I. I wanted Scotland, Wales, and Ukraine to reach the finals. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is awkward because two of them can't. So, because, yeah, I'm not one of those that wants to see Scotland and Wales just fail automatically. Uh, that it'd be more interesting having them there than someone like Slovakia or Iran for that. Well, maybe Iran will be really exciting. I don't know enough about them. But, you know, it's, uh, I'd rather see home nation sides at the finals. Just makes it more interesting. Yeah. Uh, so it was a shame, but yes, of course. And I went into the Scotland game thinking, you know what? Because of that, I'm not that bothered who wins. But once <laughs> Ukraine went ahead, it was like, and Scotland got one back. I really like my brain said, oh, I hope they don't equalise here. Yeah. So I guess I was edging towards Ukraine in the end. And yeah, I, I think, to be honest, as I say, yeah, it's not a total win-lose situation. I'd be happy to see Wales there, but I'd prefer Ukraine to be there. Uh, yeah, and let, let's get rid of this nonsense of stuff like Graeme Sudas, you know, saying that they should be there anyway. They should be given a spot. I think Ukraine players will agree that if they're there, they'll do it on merit and by no other reason because yeah. you can't start handing out places for, you know, for countries that have been in war because then we'd have to hand out about 15 of them. So the players are focused and know that if they get to the finals, it's because they've deserved to do it. And they were far the better side, to be honest, against Scotland. So, But, well, Wales had to play as well, but I guess it was a changed side, was it, against Poland? So oh, yeah, maybe, we dropped Maybe fresher for it, I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, the Ukraine players will certainly be up for it. But, yeah, they could have given it up. They almost ran out of energy as well. So I think it would be a very tight game, to be honest. That's the, the, the two big factors for me, one is a negative for Ukraine, which is six of their players... I've only played once now in the past six months. Mm. So they can they can get through 90 minutes, sure, they can, they're professional athletes, but twice inside of a week. Um, but the big concern for me is 
how they how they beat Scotland. They did a professional job on them. You know, I was expecting it to be a performance full of kind of, you know, passion and, and, and kind of emotion. And of course that was there, but they channeled that into a professional performance. They did an away job on Scotland, you know? Um, mm. Even resorting to those cliches of scoring at the right times, <laughs> straight after half time and all the rest of it. So that's my worry, that they are going into... I thought it might have been somewhat overwhelming for them, Um and there's no shred of that. There's no doubt that's going to be the case. Um, it's not going to be the case. So I'm concerned, um, but we'll see. I mean, Wales, of course, this doesn't compare to what Ukraine are going through. It's not even in the same stratosphere. I'm not suggesting it is, but it does need saying from a Welsh perspective, we have been through over 60, 70 years of heartbreak when it comes to the World Cup. We've had so many near misses. So for see Wales get through and reach a World Cup, there will be tears on Sunday night. You know, I, I, it would just mean every. I mean, we've been, we've had some incredible Euro adventures, of course we have. But the World Cup, man, Wales at the World Cup would be unbelievable. Have you not been there? No, well, nineteen fifty-eight, we we lost to Pele. We lost to a seventeen-year-old Pele in the quarterfinals in Sweden. Um, wow. So, well, however long that is, nineteen fifty-eight, it's it's a long time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know what though, Steve, I, I would say that uh, for me. Um, the the thing about without being disrespectful to Scotland or to Wales, the Ukraine have better players than yeah. than both those teams. Yeah. Like I just think that they're they're they. I don't want to say much better players, but they probably have much better players right across the park. And so it it wasn't a huge surprise to me what happened between Scotland and the Ukraine. I think the the, the what makes it su- surprising is probably more to do with what's going on in their home country than from a footballing perspective. I think from a footballing perspective, you would expect Ukraine to beat Scotland. You would expect them to mm. beat Wales. Better well, players outfield, yeah. Their keeper was, was shocking. So maybe just had an off day. But. Ukrainian keeper, he was. Oh, yeah. my God. I've got to say, though, I mean... Who, whoever makes it to the World Cup, the last week, it's all going to be about Andy Robertson's face. <laughs> <laughs> I've done the image for this podcast. I've done the image. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, it, yes, it's hilarious, but it is a horrible thing to go through in two weeks for football. Asked. Like, asked. <laughs> I hope you No, I'm not saying you should girl. be asked. I'm just saying it is... <laughs> A horrendous uh, fortnight to go. Yeah, through. that might but, have a psychological impact on the Liverpool team because, as a whole, but and particularly players like Robson, it might. Um, we'll have to see. But let's look. Well, back. I mean, just we we talk. I mean, he's got there'll be break after this, obviously. But we talked on the Fernandinho podcast briefly. The seven-one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, final. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was it a semi-final, quarter-final? I can't remember. But I, you could see that that I think it took Fernandinho months to recover from mm. that. Uh, it. Just shows how you know it can really affect players for a long time. You know what? I think that I think Andy Robertson has got nothing to worry about because I think he's far too thick to be affected by something like that. I think that you know he'll be back to running up and down that wing and kicking people. Yeah, stamina. Uh, yeah, as soon as uh, stamina FC, asthma FC, as soon as uh, <laughs> preseason begins. Oh, lovely. right. Let's do. Oh, Steve. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Just one more thing. I want to read this tweet out from Aiden O'Hara that I retweeted yesterday, um, because I just I, th- I think it's something that you know just really jumped out at me. Basically, he tweeted, "Watch Zin- Zinchenko play for Man City, and you're not sure he's absolutely top level. Then you see him play amongst Ukraine and Scotland players, and you realize the level it takes to play for Man City." Yeah, 
That's a spectacular yeah. tweet, that is. Yeah, that's a tweet I hinted at earlier. I couldn't remember who it was and what he'd said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's that, true, yeah. That's the thing. Going back to what I said earlier, he was a technical level above even his teammates, and there are some very, very good players in that Ukrainian side. So let's turn our attention down to the end of season awards. Um, the obvious place to start is Player of the Year. Um, Asan, who was your Manchester City Player of the Year for 21 22? It's a, it's a really difficult question because I feel as though different players have had different periods, but just because of the start he had to the season uh, in terms of injury and stuff like that, I'm giving it to De Bruyne. Mm. And I know that there's a lot of people who feel that Rodri has been the undisputed player of the season, and I totally respect that, but I love KDB. We don't win the league without the madness that is that assist that he gives for Gundo for the winner. Just the way that he carried us at times, both in the Champions League and in the Premier League in 2022, I'm giving it to KDB. Well, it, it's hardly undeserving, to be fair. So, yeah, I've, I've got no problem with that. I'm going for Rodri, an obvious shout, but for the same kind of reasons as what you said, actually, Aysan, we wouldn't have won the league without him. And mm. I really admire how he has took his game to that other level this season. Uh, he was superb last season as well, but I, I think there's been a distinct upgrade this season and the consistency of the, of the fella as well, uh, which ties in well with a Player of the Year award for me. So, Rodri. Uh, Howard? Yeah, uh, Rodri. Is it is it the scene of every crime, basically? Nice. I say crime. Uh, what's the opposite of crime? Crime for the opposition, maybe. Yeah. It's just, we don't win it without him. We don't win it without Kevin De Bruyne either. And I'll never argue against anyone choosing Kevin De Bruyne anyway. Uh, but Rodri for me, yeah. I, you know, I said uh, Kevin De Bruyne's body was absolutely wrecked at the beginning of the season. Mm. Uh, his own words. Uh, well, I might be paraphrasing, but yeah, he wasn't in a good physical state coming off the summer. Took him yep. a couple of months to get his body in the right place and then bang, look at him. Hmm. But Rodri was just, I mean, goal scorers as well. Just just for just for the Arsenal winner stroke celebration. <laughs> then that's a statue outside the ground immediately, basically. <laughs> but the equaliser against Villa is just one of the best goals of the season. I mean, it's just past incredible. And who knows, if he didn't score that equaliser so quickly, who knows if it was inevitable then. Because it was I inevitable agree. after that one, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And there's other goals. I mean, there's just pile drivers, there's brilliant goals, and there's that block for Benio. I mean, it's just... Uh, it all the key, most of the key moments, our defensive midfielder on both ends of the pitch seems to be involved. <laughs> and it's just like... Yeah, and that absolute power driver when he stepped over Kevin De Bruyne's dead body to put it into against Watford, <laughs> was it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just honestly, what more could he have done personally? I he's just been immaculate, absolutely immaculate. Well, fine words indeed for um of ninety three twenties player of the year, Rodri, two to one there, but young player of the year, is this gonna be a clean clean sweep? You hinted before we recorded how this is gonna be a straightforward one. I'm not sure if I misunderstood you here. Young player of the year for me is Cole Palmer. Who who are you referring oh, to? Right. Phil Foden. I don't think he falls into that category anymore. Well, yes. I well the categories generally that football use are ridiculous, aren't they? Yeah. I think like up to twenty three or something. <laughs> yeah, twenty seven <laughs> or something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh uh I understand, yeah, if you're talking pure Youth, then well, it's troublesome anyway because he picked up that injury. Mm. But if yeah, if you want 
pure youth player. It's got to be Cole Palmer. He's the next one to come through. Absolute class when he was on the pitch before he got injured. Yeah. I don't think there's much competition, to be honest. Yeah. So the deciding vote then would go to Aysan on this. Cole no, no, Palmer. I'll, I'll go with Cole Palmer. Oh, Cole, I, yeah. okay. I, I don't think we should use the FA's term of a young player. So. Aysan, yeah, okay. <laughs> who would you go for? Yeah, I, I, Palmer. I mean, just the, the flashes that that we saw of him this season. He's the next one out of the academy to make himself a mainstay in the first team. Um, and he scored, and remind me who it was against, but he scored an unbelievable goal for the first team this season. Um, was it against Swindon in the cup? Yeah, and wasn't it against, uh, did he start against Everton? I can't, but my memory's awful. Memory, he, memory monsters you're talking yeah. to. Uh, well, yeah. look, I, uh, I basically, <laughs> I, I think Cole Palmer is the uh, the young player of the year. Absolutely, deserves it. So, I mean, like uh, the perfect word you used there was flashes. We've seen enough of him now uh, in flashes to know that he is going to be a phenomenal player, most improved player. Um, this is going to be an interesting one. I'll stay with you, eh, Sam. So. This is why I didn't give Rodri player of the season because mm. for me he is comfortably the most improved player yeah. in the uh in the in the team this season. If you think that he was left out of the Champions League final uh around a year ago and at, to a man the reason people were angry everybody was angry because they wanted Fernandinho picked tells you that he wasn't in that conversation a year ago. Uh, Rodri wasn't so uh, yeah for him to now be in the running for player of the season he's certainly the most improved player of the it, season it's staggering the, the actual right and, and like I say he was superb last season he, he has been fantastic signing since he's come but just for different in him this season that, that elevation is it's extraordinary in such a short space of time as well um, Howard who's your most improved player uh, everything Asan said Rodri, so he could win play. Well, he has now won player of the year and most improved player. Then. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. yeah. I, I, okay, I just want to put a shout out to Nathan Ake. Um, I think Rodri is the reserve winner, but I would like to kind of um, my vote to be Nathan Ake. I think he um, he's gone through it, you know, and he could have got his head down and and his head could have gone down. Sorry, but it, he he hasn't, and he's been. He's been an important player for us this season. Uh, very underrated, and he showed City fans what he's capable of as well. Um, and it's been a delight to see. So, um, but yeah, Rodri, most improved player. Um, last one, fan favourite because I didn't really want to use the word cult hero, but that would apply to um, a sound fan favourite for you. Uh, I mean, there can only be one answer to this question, <laughs> and that would be uh, sexy calves, aka Jack Grealish. I've gone elsewhere, but yeah, go on. Do you think he has established himself, or his calves have established himself? I, I think he is. I think I think he is a an the undisputed poster boy and fan mm, favorite. Yeah, from yeah. The, if you're looking at it from that point of view, yeah, um, he's the one. I mean, you could like the 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 sentimental view will be to give it to Zinchenko, right? Mm. Um, but. The reality is that Jack is the uh, is the current poster boy of the Etihad. Well, I've said before now that my wife's a barber and basically all the young lads used to come in and ask for a Sergio cut and now they all ask for a Jack Grealish haircut. No one's asked for an Andy Robertson cut. 
Um, my, I'm going to say Scott Carson. I, I just love Scott Carson. And I, I, I will always vote Scott Carson. Uh, which one about you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you said you said cult hero in the, the notes. Yeah. And the, yeah. Pub, and the public, and that, yeah, it is troublesome now because cult heroes tend not to be the best players. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got all the reasons. And again, we've got a squad where they're, well, they're all pretty damn good, aren't they? So... Sorry, I'm going to be sentimental right now. It's uh, Sinchenko. So. We could all have a different one, can't we? Yeah, for this one, let's have a different ones. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because they're all fan favourites. And um, yeah, Fernandinho as well, frankly, could have been there. So yeah, oh. so there's, there's yeah. four there. In fact, the whole squad. Let's just give it to the whole squad because we've won the league, for God's sake. <laughs> they're, they're all yeah, fan favourites. Is it the most, most likeable Manchester City yes. squad yeah. ever? Yeah. For me, it is. I can't think of anyone who, who stands out who I don't particularly like and saw my genuinely... Bernardo Silva. The, the, the levels of love I've got for that man is just off a scale. Um, yeah, he's yeah. Bert, isn't he? I knew Kai Gundogan <laughs> for that last day alone. Just, yeah, a yeah. reminder. And Kev, and just the, the way that he is as a person. Kev, I like Kevin De Bruyne as a person as much as I like him as a player, you know, and it's that's a lovely feeling when you're talking about an incredible footballer. Um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree, and I just—I I think you know, even the, the, the less. It's weird because, like, you know, if I were to ask you both, who do you think are the who do you think are the least popular members amongst the supporters of the first team squad? What I would. Be? I would say there's still people at the Etihad who every match day say, "For fuck's sake, Raz." So I think yeah. maybe Sterling. Oh, just, Sterling. Yeah. Yeah. Just and I nothing think he that, can do to turn. To yeah. Know, yeah. And the, I'm, the weird the, thing at is, the back, some for some reason, Laporte seems to still. Mm. I don't know, maybe because of the old mistake in big matches in the past, but I don't know. Yeah, Jay will like I that mean, you're, you're, you're really scrambling around, aren't you? Well, what, what were you going to say about Sterling, uh, Ethan? Um, I just I, I feel as though in terms of I feel I feel as though Raheem Sterling is probably the most misunderstood footballer in our in our squad and. Um, the Players' Tribune thing that De Bruyne did, where he basically opens it by talking about Sterling and... and um, did was, did uh, he say the word... What, what, what did he describe him as? I thought he was an arsehole or something. No, a bit of a dickhead. He said <laughs> that reading, reading the media that he, he thought he would have been a little bit of a dickhead yeah. when he met him. Uh, they bonded and they became friends and he's massively misunderstood. And I think that th- there's a weird kind of... So I've seen people say... Oh well, Sterling, Sterling's Sterling's already left City in his head. Uh, look at his uh, muted celebrations when we won the title. Or oh yeah, he skipped the uh, the parade. It's just like the body language experts that come out and hmm. and start saying, you know, because of X, that means Y. And I just I find that I find that such a shame because Sterling is somebody who. If you look at even his interview after the, the the title win, which I've referenced so many times since the title win, because it genuinely my jaw hit the floor when I when I when I heard him say it. He basically said, you know, they asked him what did you say to Gundo after he scored the winner, um, and he said that I'd said to him before the game because obviously he was he was disappointed that uh, that he wasn't starting. And he said that I said to him before the game, the universe works in mysterious ways. And then when he scored the winner, that's what I wanted to remind him of the fact that, you know, I told him the universe does work in mysterious ways. And I, I just feel that like that for me represented like a kind of 
a maturity in in Raz that I think people just don't see. I think you still see people say things like, how can he think that he should be paid the same amount of money as Kevin De Bruyne? You just kind of go, you've got no idea what Sterling's asking for. And not only that, but almost every report over the last 12 months has said quite clearly that Sterling's future is not connected to money. It's just connected to football. Yeah. Mm. And so it's strange that we, we have a player who is so uh, misunderstood and misrepresented within sections of the supporter base. I guess it's the opposite of a cult hero, if that makes sense. You know what? I, I think your point there about um, Sterling with the kind of, you know, not being about money, about being kind of, you know, the club and, and football and where he goes to and if he stays, I think that can be extended to so many footballers. Of course, there's going to be players out there who just want that extra kind of, you know, 50 grand a week. But... Few and far between. I think the vast majority of them, they are so extraordinarily rich, these footballers, that what matters to them, first and foremost, is joining the right club, winning yeah. trophies, um, and being the best that they can be. I think that truly is the biggest consideration. Um, lads, time is up, but I've really enjoyed today's pod. Uh, I think it's been an absolute smash, and I hope everyone's enjoyed it at home. Asan, thank you very much, sir. I loved it, mate. Thank you very much. Howard, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And Ace, I didn't even have time to to rant as he tweeted, promised in his tweet about how there's too much football. <laughs> too much always... football, man. Give these players a break. Yeah. Well, Not that they're ever going to get a break. Bernardo Silva said it today as well, and so is Kevin Bruyne. So, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's Wednesday. And just for the final sure. time, Steve, can I just uh, book call and say, buy my book 12. Band yes, buy our book. It's it brilliant. Yes. Um, that's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to play the Sex Pistols really loud out of our bedroom <laughs> windows because celebrating the Jubilee just feels a little bit West Ham. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, be well, and forever up the champions of England. <laughs>